Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к предверию нашей надежды. Да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которые очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови забета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество – все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, виде Его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться. Yeah, it was. 
как моя жемчужина реликвии, но увлекаясь мелким и пустым, дар жизни чудный и великий, а суету размениваешь ты. Богатствами земными Нам власть дана над собственной душой Мы в этом мире словно на квартире Земная жизнь запущена в кредит Какая польза владеет всем миром А вот душе бессмертной Thank you. 
And so if you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to have the great mystery that the Lord wants to reveal to us that we are not yet familiar with. The book of Matthew 5:45 and 48, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. And as we know, this promise contained in the commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all generations, and this commandment of Christ is addressed specifically to his students. Therefore, people who do not accept God's delegated authority over themselves have no part in the inheritance that is contained 
in this commandment and are not able to have it. Revelant to fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man, specifically the goal that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue. And in part, we've been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart, received by us in the two broken tablets in which we died by the law for the law, to live for the one that died and resurrected, and by doing so receive confirmation of our salvation in the new tablets of the covenant, in the format of the law of the spirit of life, so that we provide God a basis to give us the promise to be heirs of peace, not by the past law, but by the righteousness of faith, like he gave it to Abraham and his seed which he has made the father of all who believe for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law but through the righteousness of faith Romans 4.13 we need to know that the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God our faith is obedience to the preached word the things that we hear faith is from hearing the word faith is information and not emotions which is presented in the preached word of God sent together with the person who represents the fatherhood of God for us and is our head Therefore, the promise of the peace of God is given only to those men that are obedient to the order of God in accordance to which God sends us his words by the mouth of his delegated people. Therefore, the covenant of peace within the heart of a man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God, which is the spoken word of God's delegated ones to examine a person as to whether he truly is sent by God to present to us his word is to be done by the power of delegation within the implemented by God order and by the existing within our heart anointing to identify the voice of God in the mouth of that person who is supposed to represent the fatherhood of God to us. 1 John 2.18-26 Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, those that are haters of Christ, by which we know that it is the last hour. And the most amazing is that these Antichrists, these haters of Christ, came out from us, they were not in the world. The world doesn't know Christ to be able to hate him. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been, had been of us, they would not have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know, and you know all these things, these things I have written to you, to you concerning those who try to deceive you. You have within you the anointing to differentiate the deceit deceiver from the one that God has sent. By the means of the righteousness of faith, the covenant of peace demonstrated in the inheritance of peace is called to abide and be within the heart of a man evidence of the fact that he is a child of God. If you don't have the peace of God in your heart, then this is testimony of the fact that our relationship with God, there's something wrong with our relationship with God. Therefore, the inheritance of peace present in the covenant of peace is actually the treasury of our hope in God, containing the complex of all of the promises of God, that when accomplished is the goal of the given to us righteousness, the righteousness of faith, because 
faith, not just simple faith, but righteous faith, the correct faith. It takes the, from the treasury of hope that promise that it knows, according to the revelation of the Holy Spirit, needs to be taken today when the time has come to enter into the inheritance of that promise. Therefore, it is righteousness by the means of the peace of God containing the covenant of peace that can and is called to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6-7. God is not going to keep uh, the fleshly thoughts in Christ Jesus. Only those thoughts that are in accordance to the will of God are the ones that are kept in Christ Jesus. God's will is to redeem our spirit, soul, and body so that we enter into this inheritance. The generation of saints entered into God's promise by faith. It never actually happened to them, but they, they died in the faith, not having received uh, what was yet promised. And the reason for that was so that they not take or inherit uh, without us, those of the last days. And we know that this is a promise that belongs to the door of our hope, where God, with noise, will cast into hell our old person and then the law of sin and death or the law that gives power to sin and reveals sin he will have nothing to do uh, there the law is given for the criminal you are not a criminal the old person the reigning sin is has been cast out and in your body then the stronghold of life will be erected by the resurrection of Christ and no hell no will uh, will scare you, you will be in absolute peace as God was and is in the seventh day. For to be carnally minded is death, but to, spir to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because a carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8, 6 through 8. The kind of thoughts we have, that is our, what the kind of mind we have, is how we live. One that is of a carnal mind cannot please God, cannot be called a son of God, and if he had salvation, he lost, he will lose it. According to this statement, we conclude that people who have rejected the condition where the truth of the preached word and the power of the Holy Spirit renews their mind by the spirit of their mind have no connection to the peace of God and are not able to have it. And consequently, such people have no connection and cannot have a connection to the sons of peace either that by the means of the peace of God would inherit eternal salvation in the kingdom of heaven. We need to apprehend well that it is only by the collaboration of our spirit that is born from God with our renewed mind because a born from a born born spirit cannot collaborate with the fleshly mind it will collaborate with the renewed mind that is within Christ Jesus it is this collaboration 
that we are called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ. Therefore, to look at the righteousness of faith so we bring about the inheritance of the peace of God and the condition outlining the way our righteousness needs to garment itself into the armor of this peace so that we, so that our minds would be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. We've been studying the following question. By what signs are we able to determine, examining ourselves, that we are sons of peace as well as the sons of God? Because it is only by the of the peace of God within our heart that we are able to examine ourselves as to whether we are truly the sons of God. As it is written, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5, 9. <coughs> Peacemakers are those who have made a covenant of peace with God. We note that if a person has not died for his nation, for the house of his father, and for his fleshly life, then his justification, which he received in salvation by faith in Christ Jesus in the format of a guarantee, will never convert into the quality and format of righteousness by which he would be able to receive the ability to be clothed into the promise of the peace of God so that he in righteousness would bear fruits of peace, which is why the prepared for them crown of righteousness will be taken from such people, giving them the right to, to the promise of peace where they could, can be called sons of God. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Revelations 3.11 <laughs> There are times when our crown is threatened, and if we don't pay attention to that, then our crown will be taken. We need to remember that the promise of the peace of God receives its power and its legitimacy within our heart only by the righteousness of our faith and the covenant of peace, which places responsibility upon both sides of the covenant, where each side or participant of the covenant is responsible to fulfill their role that is implemented by God in the obligations that are present in that covenant. And if either of the sides violates the conditions that were agreed upon in the covenant of peace between God and man, we note that such a violator can only be a man, then the other side being God is released or freed from the responsibility of fulfilling the conditions of the agreement of the covenant of peace. Therefore, the fruit of righteousness, identified as the peace of God within our heart, is evidence of the fact that we are sons of peace. This serves as grounds or a basis for God so that he may fulfill his part contained in the covenant of peace, which consists of leading us into the inheritance of his son so that we would share with him all that, that, is, that is written about him in the laws and the prophets and the Psalms. Because the justification that we receive by right of our, of our birth from the seed of the word of truth has converted into the quality and format of righteousness, where we have obtained the ability to bear the fruits of peace within our relationship with God and with those around us. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, Hebrews 12:14. And so peace without holiness does not exist. <clears throat> the peace of God, the covenant of peace, is a holy covenant 
it cannot be without holiness. This is Hebrews 12, 14, and we've noted that in this place of Scripture, we are talking about a form of unique and supernatural peace that is to be done by God only within the boundaries of holiness or be an expression and demonstration of holiness. These outlined and identified boundaries of holiness are the commandments of God containing the righteousness of God. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, Romans 12, 18. <clears throat> Here we see that it is not possible to have peace with all men, but only with those that, is po that it's possible to have it with. Therefore, we need to know the category that we can have peace with and the category that we cannot have peace with. Therefore, the peace that we dare by the inspiration of our mind to demonstrate out of the boundaries of holiness and not as an expression of holiness <clears throat> will be incriminated to us as a serious form of law for which we will, be, we will be required to pay a price of eternal life because our communication with people that the scriptures identify as evil company will corrupt our good habits and will transform us into their wicked image. Do not be deceived. <clears throat> evil company corrupt good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some to, do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 and 34. <clears throat> When people say that God loves everyone and we need to love everyone, that means that this person doesn't know God who's saying this. God is holy, and if he is holy, he cannot love everybody. He loves those who love him, the saints. But if a person calls himself a saint but behaves as Satan does, that means he's not a saint. He is just the devil in the flesh, is all he is, a hater of Christ. So it is impossible and criminal to have peace with the unclean and the lawless that have filled the churches today who support the unclean that in their time accepted the truth but afterwards left their church and turned away from the holy commands that were given to them. And went then and built themselves a city and called it Enoch. And they look at all the gifts that they do and all the things that they do. They rebuke demons, they heal people, they bring people to repentance. And they think that this is perfection before God's eyes. Uh, when it's actually not the case. God looks at our character, how humble we are, how much uh, we are within God's order, and how we uh, receive the person whom God has placed, but not a, and not a wicked man who calls himself Messiah or one who is delegated by God. It is impossible and criminal to have peace with the unclean and the lawless who support these unclean, that in their time again accepted the truth but afterwards left their church and turned away from the holy commands that were given to them. The very fact of the rebelliousness and resistance of the words spoken by God's delegation that are placed over them testifies of the loss of peace in their heart and member them to the category of the wicked. 
The wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Isaiah 57, 20 through 21. Everything that they say, everything that they confess, God calls, calls it as mire and dirt. In a specific format, we have already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign. The seventh sign by which we need to determine that we are a part of the sons of peace is by the ability to clothe your essence into the holy and selective love of God. But above all these things, put on love which is the bond of perfection and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3.14.15 And so this love is the character of the new person. To be clothed into the perfect love of God means to be clothed into your new person. According to this place of Scripture, the reign of the peace of God within our heart is possible only upon one condition, and that is if the selective love of God will abide within our heart, and if we will be clothed into the selective love of God by itself when the selective love of God is within our heart, but we do something that is wrong, then this selective love, it immediately warns us and lets us know because this selective love of God is in the conscience of a person. And as soon as we behave against this love, then this con our conscience begins to warn us. And you may say, well, I was right and this person was wrong, and, but your conscience will, uh, you'll suffer, something will, you'll feel something's wrong. And so this is that selective love of God is within the conscience of a person, and it will correct a person, and this person goes and repents. But if a person does not repent, then this love in him dies, and the, then his conscience will no longer judge him. And this person begins to then state that he is, it's so easy and simple for him. And then when they commit any sort of sin, then their conscience doesn't judge them. They died once and for all for God, and repentance will, will not be given to them. They are not able to be renewed with repentance then. By itself, the selective love of God is an uncomprehending for the human mind goodness of God. Here we're talking about the mind that is of the, uh, the fleshly mind. For the human mind, uh, it's again an uncomprehending for the human mind goodness of God or kindness that is inherent to God since in the selective love of God which is the goodness of God we see concealed the good, wonderful, eternal and uncomprehending for the human mind goals and works of God called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and his children God gave himself for his church washing her with pure waters so she be holy and perfect in love this is for those people that still state that God loves everybody. Then why did Jesus die for his church only, not for everybody? Why did he sanctify the church then only and not everybody? 
We need to understand this. Comprehending the selective love of God is called to fill us with all of the fullness of the peace of God or make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Specifically, the selective love of God is called to make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. His perfection consists in the fact that He loves those who love Him and hate those who hate Him. And when He shines His sun upon the righteous, He warms them. He gives them light, but when he shines upon the wicked, then he, with his wrath, uh, burns them, just as a fiery furnace. When the three young men, those who brought them there, those who were killed by that fire, because it was so powerful, so strong, but these three walked within the midst of the fire and sang songs, and there was also a fourth one amongst them, and they felt very, uh, very well and uh, and they felt as if they were in, a cool, in the coolness of the day when they were walking within the fire. If someone doesn't uh, honor the, uh, the Sabbath, if, if someone, these are the people, are the ones that can live amongst the fiery furnace. Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 3:16 through 19 that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. These are four children that are already his children that were born from the seed of the word of truth that have made a covenant in the baptism of water that are speaking in tongues that have the spiritual gifts. He says grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith this means that they still did not have Christ in another place he says I can't speak to you as people who are spiritual because you you don't have an insufficiency in any gift you speak in tongues you practice spiritual gifts but I can't speak to you as spiritual people you are of the flesh and not of the spirit and so in order for the Holy Spirit to enter as the Lord into our life in the form of Christ so that we would be rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the width and length and depth and height of course this is in spirit to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all of the fullness of of God. To be filled with all of the fullness of God means to be in accordance to the example of perfection that is like our Heavenly Father. However, to come more to more practical conclusions when it comes to the selective love of God, we decided to look at the character and quality contained in the selective love of God in the form of seven qualities of true virtue presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the spoken words of the apostles and prophets. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Second Peter 1, 2 through 8. They often call it the ladder of Peter by which you can enter heaven. If you don't have this, then you don't have a ladder by which you can enter. You can't inherit salvation if your character does not have these qualities. <clears throat> they are inherent to the Heavenly Father. Each of the seven qualities of the fruit of virtue, which are necessary to grow, 
contains the characteristics of all of the rest of the qualities, and you receive these qualities in the form of seeds, and we are then responsible to grow them into fruit. Each of these seven qualities of, of the fruit of virtue contains the characteristics of all the rest of the qualities, as they flow one from the other, complete or support one the other, strengthen one the other, and confirm the truthful nature of one the other. Second, these qualities are called to be the moral perfection and example inherent to the essence of God. Third, the given qualities are the great and precious promises given to us in Jesus Christ and in Christ Jesus. Fourth, the given qualities are the imperishable treasure and wealth with which we need to become rich. Fifth, in order to receive the inheritance of these qualities, it is necessary for us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Sixth, the means that we are to utilize for receiving the power of the Holy Spirit is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. In the words of God's delegated ones. Seventh, by inheriting these great and precious promises, we become a part of God's divine nature. Therefore, the select, uh, selective love of God demonstrated in the seven unchanging qualities and characteristics have nothing in common with and cannot have anything in common with the nature of human love that is filled with egoism, greed, and is just temporary that is based upon emotions that is not continuous. It is the selective love of God in the format of seven qualities of unearthly virtue that is based not in emotion but the mind and decision of man. This kind of love is called to throne the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and clothe our earthly body into the resurrection of Christ, that is, into our new person. <clears throat> the quality of the selective love of God does not compare in any way with the tolerant love of man because the virtue of the selective love of God are eternally existing virtues qualities and characteristics of our Heavenly Father and His all-consuming holiness and all that comes from God, because God is love. More specifically, holy love is separated from all that man calls love. And such an uncomprehending for our mind, transcendent love of God is identified in Scripture as the bond of perfection, which directs us to the fact that the selective love of God is placed by God as first <coughs> of all of His perfections identified in His virtues. Above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection, Colossians 3.14. The bond of perfection of the selective love of God is unconditional when it comes to the seven qualities of virtue. It is unconditional, again, to, when it comes to these seven qualities of virtue. It's not unconditional in general. It's unconditional when it comes to the seven qualities of virtue. And unlike the tolerant and egotistical love of man, the unconditional nature of the selective love of God in the seven qualities of virtue is different in that it contains the burning jealousy of God all his knowledge and his absolute wisdom that in no way is able to be used for greedy and egotistical purposes. 
At the same time, the tolerant love of man toward other men is very conveniently used for greedy and egotistical purposes. Here's what the scriptures say regarding the strength of the love of God. Songs of Solomon 8, 6, 7, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire and mo- a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Songs of Solomon 8, 6, 7. The love of God, <coughs> again, is not for sale, but the love of man is for sale. You can buy it. Everything is just a price. The measure of the love of God is identified by and is known by the measure of God's hatred toward evil and men who do this evil. Because only loving what God loves and hating what God hates, we demonstrate God's reaction to good and evil. The selective love of God by its unchanging nature in the format of seven supernatural qualities is called to grow us into the fullness of the growth in Christ or lead us into the perfection that is like the perfection of our heavenly Father. Considering, therefore, that these seven qualities of virtue do not have an analog in the unearthly realm of the human lexicon, you will not find in any dictionary the definition of these words. There are definitions, but they are not in accordance to the definitions of the Bible. The love of God is the foundation and atmosphere of the moral and immovable law opening within our heart the essence of God and the essence of the heavenly kingdom. And this is not all. The love of God agape is a sovereign love, which is unconditional when it comes to the people it chooses in its abilities to foreknow and predestine. Because of its sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates the sovereign rights and (coughs) rights of those people she selects and never allows her own sovereign rights within her boundaries to be violated, these boundaries identified as his burning holiness. In a specific format, we've already looked at the demonstration of the selective love of God and the qualities of virtue, knowledge, self-control, and perseverance. We stopped to study the virtue of the love of God and the mystery of great godliness. 1 Timothy 6, 3, 4, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from such a withdraw yourselves that is again separate from such people do not have a relationship with such people or friendship with such people when you begin to communicate with these people they try to dispute with you and you don't know what to say and you're trying to as quickly as you can find a response to what they're saying and you don't get you don't it doesn't come to your mind but as soon as you step away from this person after his conversation with you then the response comes to your mind and you wonder why it came so late and it didn't come late the Lord just wanted to show you all of us that this we had the response, but God did not want to give it to us at the time when we were communicating with this person to whom he did not want to reveal this truth 
You can have communication only with those who are in need or ask for it, who say, give to us uh, some of your oil. Our lamps are, are dying. When they see you have something they don't have, what is this? Or how is it during this situation you can behave this way? We can't do this. We get lost. What is it that you have? <coughs> Where did you receive this? What is this truth that you have? Give to us. This, these are the people that you are to communicate with. According to this place of Scripture, we note that the teaching of godliness within the selective love of God and obsession with dispute and arguments over words are not only opposites or contrary one to the other, but are also unfitting by their nature. In Scripture, the discipline of godliness within the selective love of God is presented as the base or foundation of the gospel faith teaching linked together with the great mystery of God. Of God. 1 Timothy 3.16 And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. If he wanted to be uh, reigning only within our spirit, <clears throat> if he was manifested in the flesh, that means he, he meant to make our body a stronghold of life, justified in the spirit, in order to justify us in the Spirit, He justified Himself, and we are already justified in Him, seen by angels, because He showed Himself to angels by His church. Angels don't know the Heavenly Father, how He is. They've never seen Him and never will see Him. Everything they can see is that it may be made known by the church the, to the principalities in the, in the heavens, the, the many forms of God's work, and they'll be able to see this within his children. This is what is given to the servants of God. Angels are servants that are sent to serve those who are to inherit salvation. preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. When the sermon was being spoken in the nations, and he was received up in glory, this is the guarantee that death would no longer be able to touch him. We are in him, and when we die together with him and resurrect with him, then we were also raised with him and seated with him at the right hand of his father. By demonstrating the signs of the fruits of godliness, we identify the true quality of the love of God agape within the heart of a man, in his words, his actions, and the manner in which he or she dresses, which isn't supposed to prompt instincts of the opposite sex and to dress in a way that will demonstrate Christ. I think when clothing, where women wear very short uh, garments, uh, they do not demonstrate Christ. They just demonstrate uh, lusts and trying to attract the instinct, instinct, uh, instincts of the opposite sex. They think that somehow they will attract that one that they want to have. 
A short skirt will never attract that one, the correct one. But when you will have the, the right clothing, then there will always be that mystery. But when you've already showed everything, there's nothing, there's no mystery. You have to be wise in this. This, If you have Christ in you, then please let he be in your words and your behavior and your clothing as well. They don't have to be expensive to make others feel uh, lower than you. Something that's expensive is one that's in the thousands of dollars. There are such dresses and suits that cost thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars. If this costs a thousand, two or three, it's not considered as the very high price, but when we're talking about a fifty thousand dollar suit, that's very expensive. Very expensive clothing is no different than just expensive clothing. The only difference is that there's some kind of label on the on the clothing, uh, and people uh, want to show themselves by by wearing these kinds of things. In Scripture, the meaning contained in the virtue godliness describes the legitimate relationship of the saints and God bound together in a mutual union or covenant. Furthermore, the essence of the selective love of God in, in godliness is determined and demonstrated in mutual obligation of God and man, outlined and made perpetual by God in a mutual covenant of peace with God. Relevant to this fact, it is necessary for us to respond to four classical questions questions. First, what are the characteristics of godliness in Scripture, that of God as well as that of man? Second, what purpose is godliness called to fulfill within the relationship of God and man and man with God? Third, what conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our godliness with the godliness or kindness of God? And fourth, by what signs are we able to determine that our godliness is truly collaborating with the godliness of God? In a specific format, as much as God has allowed in the measure of our faith, we have already looked at the character of, of question one. What are the characteristics of godliness in Scripture? That of God is that, that of God as well as that of man, as well as the essence of godliness of man in the favor of man toward God. And stop to study their second question, what purpose or role does God does godliness have in the relationship of God with man and man with God? And before we studied the virtue of the, of the mystery of godliness, we made a note that there is a fundamental difference between the, uh, the goodness of God in his favor toward man and the godliness of man, which he is called to demonstrate in his love to God. The godliness of a man is his favor to God, his grace to God, and his thanksgiving. The godliness of a man is to visit the fatherless and widow in their hardship, to keep themselves from being defiled by the world, to imitate Christ and meditate about the things of the hills, seek God in his good, acceptable, and perfect will. <coughs> this is the, uh, the godliness of man. The godliness of God is his goodness, his favor, and his grace. Also his mercifulness. 
This is his thanksgiving toward man and his good work and good acts. His thanksgiving because a person has demonstrated his thanksgiving. One of the meanings meanings of of grace is uh, thanksgiving. And draw near to me and I will draw near to you, it says. And so the godliness of God is his kindness, his goodness, his good work and good acts, his kindness in the absolute sense of the word. <clears throat> the goodness of God in his favor toward man is an uncomprehending and inaccessible for the mind of man. Kindness of God identified in his goodness and this will which was identified in good and acceptable and in the good, acceptable, and perfect will, which was formed in the entrails of the Heavenly Father and elevated by him as a law of grace in the form of his commandment which God had magnified above all his name and placed himself in dependence from his word contained in his commandment. The goodness of God as a commandment of God was elevated by God as a law, a law for himself, his Son, the Holy Spirit, as well as his chosen flock, whom he, beca- whom he because of his ability to see all things, foreknew and predestined so that they may be in the image, image of his Son, so that he be the first aborn among many brethren. Romans 8.29, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8.29, God has the quality of a father as a father to his children. The word father is only given to the one who becomes the father uh, of children when they have children. And in a specific uh, number of men, uh, they have this great desire to be a father, and in a certain category of women, they also have this desire to be mothers. If we have a love as our Heavenly Father has love, we will want the desire to also have children, not just in fruits of the Spirit, but also physically. The Old as well as the New Testament identified the virtue of the love of God in the discipline of godliness as one of the greatest mysteries of God himself, which defends and makes the sincere love of God impossible for counterfeit and falsification. Aside from these characteristics called to identify the character of godliness, there is also a counterfeit of godliness that exists as well that will conflict with or confront the true form of godliness. Having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. 2 Timothy 3, 5. As soon as people uh, don't treat God correctly or react when it comes to God, when God says, don't communicate with them, do not do not uh, be friends with these people. You need to show God's uh, holiness and not 
True godliness in man perfectly differentiates or identifies a counterfeit form of godliness in man and with disdain break all relations or contact with them and distances its, itself from them as it reveres and trembles uh, before all the dictations of God and possesses discipline capable of fulfilling these dictations with great accuracy. If we don't break our relationship with people that have the look of godliness and will not distance ourselves from them, then they will corrupt our godliness that is contained in our good habits, which is why we together with them will inherit the prepared for them destruction. God had prepared from the creation of the world destruction for the wicked and the lawless and from the creation of the world prepared his salvation and redemption for those who will fall in love with his word that will be thankful and to this thanksgiving God will respond with his thanksgiving to seek God is to obtain favor in God he will allow himself to be found Second question, in what situations is our godliness called to collaborate with the goodness of God in his favor? We've already studied a series of these uh, purposes, and the next I would like to pay attention to is the purpose of godliness in the selective love of God is called to demonstrate the work of God upon his servants and the glory of God upon the sons so that he can establish the work of our hands. Psalm 90, Psalm 90, 16, 17. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is an incredible place of scripture. Let us pay attention to the first phrase. Let your work appear to your servants. What is this phrase? It practically is a response. It's a response to something that God has already given. When the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, uh, Rejoice, a favored one, you will bear a son. And they will call his name Emmanuel, that means God is with us. He will save his people from their sins. She said, how is this possible? I do not know a man. But he said, the power of the Most High shall come upon you, and the one that will be born of you will be holy. And she said, let it be according to your word. Here these people, or this thought, let your, let your work appear to your servants. This is not uh, this is not referring again, as you can see, work appear to me, but to your servants in general, just uh, and not just me myself, but here it's referring to the whole church. When he gives, gives, he doesn't give to one, he gives it to the whole body and pours it upon. Jesus Christ and what is in him also receive what has been poured. Let your work appear. It's a very interesting phrase that was pro, uh, was spoken uh, before the creation of the universe when God said, let there be light. It has great power, these words, to do something. It was 
And the reason that it was spoken is because the Holy Spirit was waiting for this and waiting to hear it. They understood that they already received some kind of blessing in the work of God. They call it a blessing or this promise as a work of God. And they say, let your work appear to your servants. And uh, they would not otherwise have spoken or said it in this manner. This work, this promise that God has done for them. Let your work appear to your servants. In other words, who are these servants? The uh, virtue of, of a servant the greatest uh, rank in heaven and position in heaven that the heavenly father has is a servant the heavenly father is a servant of his word the word that comes out of his mouth this is his master he makes his word his master according to your wor his words you can determine that this is the Lord here it's talking about the word of God the work of God is the word of God what, what is this work and what are these servants this is a servant that for whom the word of God as the heavenly father has become their master if the word of God is not our master if we don't want to hear it, it is not pleasant when we hear it. If we don't want it to correct us, if we don't want to be perfected into the image of this word, of course we will not. When it says grace for grace, uh, they demonstrate their, their grace to God, their, their thanksgiving to God. This work is the promise of redemption, redemption for our spirit, soul, and body. This is the work it's referring to. Let your work appear to your servants. This work, this is the Lord had revealed, this is the stronghold of eternal life in the body of a person. It can only be in the body of a servant of the Lord. <coughs> Here's what the, this place was referring to. And, and your glory to their children. The children of the servants are the fruits of their spirit. <clears throat> the glory of God it then is upon the, the fruits of the spirit that we bear. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Upon us and the fruit that we bear. And by your fruits you will know them. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. This is God's favor, God's beauty. Who is worthy of his, his favor? Here's the one that I will look at. The one that is humble, of a humble and contrite spirit. And the one who trembles before my word. And they say, let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. When they had brought forth evidence of the fact that they are servants, that they accept this promise, the, the work of the hands is a confession of the faith of the heart. 
May the stronghold of life be within our body is what they were saying. <coughs> Here is what their the purpose of, of, of God's favor in the selective love of God is called to erect the stronghold of eternal life within our body. And this will happen when we can present first that we are servants and that we have sons, sons of these servants. If we are servants of his word, then we will have the fruit. There will absolutely be fruit. A character will be changed. And God will then uh, demonstrate his favor to his own and not something that is a sinful, not dedicated, or, or doesn't belong to him. The next purpose of godliness in the selective love of God is called to elevate godly men to the virtue of prophets so that they serve his children. Acts 22, 12-15 Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour I looked up at him. And so God sends this prophet Ananias. This was a, a godly man. He was, he carried God's favor. He had God's favor. He had godliness. And the calling of this godliness was in him, he came to me and he stood and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you. Has chosen you. That means he chose you before the creation of the world. He didn't choose you now. That you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. Acts 22:12-15. The purpose of godliness in our relationship with God consists in us being able to pass on to others God's mystery. These people will always carry within their heart such communication with God to uh, a conversation with God, relationship with God, so they can receive God's revelations God didn't just come or Ananias didn't just come and say brother Saul uh, receive your sight he didn't say this and then turn around and leave he came and when Saul received his sight they sat at the table and began to eat together and he began to teach and talk about they began to communicate and they began to pass on he began to pass on to a future apostle information. We need to understand that our godliness is us being able to pass on the will of God and revelation of God to those people to whom God wants to reveal it to that are supposed to be the vessels of the Lord. They might be haters of God still because they don't know God. But God will do something with them and will send you to them. You somehow, somewhere will meet. Learn when you meet with people to determine 
whether this is a person that God wants you to reveal something to. That doesn't mean that God dire directly, when you approach this person, God will open to you, go to this person and put your hands on them. They will, bl they're blinded. They will be, they'll be able to see. This means that you will meet with the person and suddenly inside you'll have some kind of uh, compassion on this person and the will desire to speak to them and this person will have the same thing towards you. you will, he will look at you as a servant looks at their master. To these people you will begin to speak uh, what's upon your heart. This is a revelation that you carry in your heart and you so badly want to share uh, this revelation with someone and you don't know with whom. Wait, there's always people that will that you that that you can reveal it to. Your mouth will be filled with the word as a river, and you will be edified, and you will edify them as well. And you'll be wondering how this is happening. I didn't know how to speak this way before. Uh, but this happens when you have the godliness of God in you. If you are a godly person and have found his favor, he will absolutely will use you for this kind of purpose. The purpose of godliness in the selective love of God is called to make us godly and content with what we have. For we have brought nothing into the world and certainly cannot carry anything out of it. 1 Timothy 6, 5 through 11. Useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. <clears throat> it's great gain if we are content and glad. We brought nothing into this world and can certainly carry nothing out of it. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things. <clears throat> the second time it says, flee from... Uh, Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. In the original, it says, uh, it says, flee from them as if you see the face of a serpent. Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. And so we see that the purpose of godliness within us is called to give us the knowledge. Godliness is not for uh, materialistic gain. And that people who think this way and use the principles of faith for materialistic uh, prosperity that... And so when you meet such people that are that have a very 
uh, high titles and they call them generals of God. These are generals of mammon, not generals of God, but God, if it is God, is God of mammon and not the most high God. They have these, their churches and they call their God also Christ and Messiah, but, the, but that is not the case. The Most High, as a Messiah, he has different qualities, and their godliness is that a godly person is a person that is uh, content or happy with what they have. If God wants to give me more, he will. He will open up those opportunities. That doesn't mean... You can't think of it, of this, but when the one who wants to become rich is when their entire desire, everything, is focused on just becoming rich. In the internet, with people, uh, they go to different kinds of uh, trainings. They're looking for ways of not doing anything but earning a lot of money. And you see that... Today, all of these uh, uh, information that they sell today in books and so forth, a lot of this is just a, a deceiving information. There's these millionaires that know uh, what they need to, uh, what to do, and they... And people invest money and want to earn money uh, not not earning it by work, but just receiving it freely. God is a worker, and I think that uh, forex and all of these other uh, forms of w of ways of not working but earning money is not right, because they take this is a sin, because they they're not working to obtain what they have. If you want to earn more, you want to work more. You'll need to work more. When you do your job very well, you will receive more money. Each one to his own. If you are a entrepreneur or a businessman, not everyone has that ability. And that doesn't mean because you are special in mind, but no, God... Uh, allows people to uh, the ability to make more or to have the ability he gives the desire people have the desire to uh, if you ask a person who would you like to be for some reason uh, a, a child uh, you ask a child what he wants to be sometimes they say I want to be what my father is and others will say, I want to be a doctor, I want to be an architect, or I want to build really nice houses, and so forth. A person already has in his mind these things, and when a person's deceived uh, and told you can do nothing and earn a lot of money, this is a, a problem. We need to be content with what we have. God tests uh, certain people with with uh, riches and with others poverty. But in a poverty, that does, doesn't mean uh, he's, he doesn't starve uh, his children. He, this is the bread. 
Even if there's hunger, I oftentimes say, if you would put into a jail cell uh, criminals and a a couple of true godly people among them, and they would decide to hunger or starve all of them, the criminals would have would die and the godly would remain alive. They will be hungry, but they will not die because they have the word of God that abides forever. And that word that they have placed into their heart, this word once had said, let there be, let, the, let, let, uh, let, let creation be. They created the grasses and creation in general. When Jesus was fasting, the, the devil came to him and said, you're hungry, tell these uh, stones to become bread cause he, because he knew that he could do that. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Your words become the words of God when you confess the faith of your heart and by this you will live and you'll never die. Don't be afraid of hunger. May the lawless and the wicked be afraid of hunger. But you be glad. If you have the faith of your heart, then you have bread. The scriptures say that we need to remember that no one has ever brought anything out of this world. Solomon had said, There's one way into this life and one way out of it. And I prayed and the spirit of wisdom came upon me. He understood that he brought nothing from uh, into this world. If you go to a cemetery and you'll see this very rich, um, the, the uh, burials of very wealthy people. I've seen funerals uh, of criminal authorities also. They have a conditioner, a telephone. They they put lots of different things, even a whole bedroom. Uh, they, they commit to this person. And there's beauty and... And it's, it's as if they pretty much, as a god, they they put it, and, and absolutely they always include something religious. One I saw it was a very large, very large cross, and then his will written upon there. People committing crimes, they always pray. When they did some kind of work, either to steal or kill, they always cross uh, themselves and then they also pray to the Lord. And they would give to, uh, they would also go to the church and go to... The priests of the church and give a lot of money. Also, I know many charismatic leaders that receive from criminal authorities very large sums of money, and these criminal authorities are secret, as if students. Uh, but they don't lo- lose. They don't change their lifestyle. Of course, this is very dangerous. Let us be rich with what the Lord has given us. He has given us a great wealth that we can take out. We can change our body with this wealth. 
we have God's favor and God's promise that is given to us at the door of our hope that our bodies will become different. There the stronghold of life will be and we will not die. We will wait for rapture in a body that doesn't have a decay and death. We will actually attract masses amount of people to feed them <coughs> And when the uh, trumpet will sound, our body that will have the stronghold of life will be then changed in the blink of an eye and will become the glorious body as our Lord's is. And so for us to have this, we need to avoid such people that think that materialistic gain is their joy and that godliness is given for becoming rich. Avoid such people and rather pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness, we will pray, and all those who desire to confront their illnesses, their fears, poverty, danger, shame, we wait for you here at the altar. You heard the word that God is for you. He's not against you. He can deliver you and prepare you and your body for the enthroning of Christ in your body. Amen. Let us pray. I'm going to be praying your prayer, and I ask you to deeply believe that the Lord is for you. He's not against you. He can and is ready to deliver you from all nature of evil, from dependence of sin. Heal your bodies in the planned by him time close your eyes this is your secret room lift your hands to the Lord pray together with me Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ I come to you with an opened heart with my shame dependence from sin with my pain illnesses I ask you forgive me Wash me, cleanse me, heal me, take my shame, cover me with yourself. I love you. I believe in your words. I open up my heart, enter in, and be king and lord of my life. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with his great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May all these blessings be upon you, those of the hills and those of the valleys. May the Lord show his work upon you and upon your fruit. May with noise your old person be cast out with his pride, with his work, and may the stronghold of life be erected in you by the resurrection of Christ. May all this be upon you and be fulfilled upon you and your children. And the nation shall say, Amen.
From the confessions of our mouths, a person will be justified and condemned. Continue to be vigilant over the words that you speak. The weak will say he's strong. Stop looking at the symptoms in your body. Stop basing things from what you see in the mirror. We are going from glory to glory. Begin to look at the Word of God and meditate about it because you have image the ability to uh, ima imagine uh, the things that you read about, communicate with your body and your soul. David said, why are you in doubt, my soul, and why do you complain? I still will rely upon my Lord and trust upon Him. If the Lord uh, said something, He will fulfill it. May your heart rejoice. Watch after what you say. We will proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.